Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, in week two of our Advent series, we take a look at Jesus' arrest and its impact on his disciples. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. If I've not met you yet, my name is Tim. We're glad you're here. My wife asked me, why is there condiments on the front of church? Here we go. Uh, Matthew 26. Um, if you are new with us, we've been in a series for the last, uh, well, we started in December of last year, uh, beginning in the beginning of Matthew. So at this time last year, we were looking at the Christmas stories in Matthew, and we have been going chapter by chapter, sometimes verse by verse through the through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's recording the life of, of Jesus. And uh, we have four of these accounts. Matthew is the one who is most rooted in his Old Testament. He's trying to show a group of people who uh, come from uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, that Jesus is the one that was prophesied about uh, way back even in Genesis chapter 3. So Matthew's doing a lot of that work. We've been tracking with Matthew now for a, uh, a little over a year. And uh, we are in the final stretch um, we are looking at the last, uh, so the last couple of months, we've been looking at the last week uh, leading up to the cross, and beginning last week, we said, okay, now time's going to really slow down. We are going to be looking for the next couple weeks at just the very last day, uh, Thursday, beginning at sundown and ending on sun, at sundown on Friday, uh, what they refer to as the Passover. And so uh, my goal this morning is I want to take you deep into the world of Jesus Again, we're trying to put pieces in place. We said this last week, if you weren't with us, uh, we said that we're trying to put pieces in place that hopefully by the time we are uh, December 18, some of the pieces will, okay, that, that's what we were doing. So uh, we're trying to put some pieces in place. You got to be patient. I've, uh, I've been thinking about the sermon more as uh, instead of just like the time we have together, but like what does it look like to stretch this thing out? And we have multiple weeks. That means you got to keep coming back. But uh, we've been uh, stretching it out um, because I, I want to take us deep into the world. And again, I want to take us deep into the world uh, of Jesus. Last week, we spent the entire portion of our time together just talking about the seating arrangement at the Passover Seder, um, the Passover meal. And we tried to place based on the text, okay, who's sitting where and what does that mean to the story itself? What I want to do this morning is I want to take you back into that meal there's a lot of traditions wrapped around that meal. I want to take you into those traditions. And then uh, we'll go from the meal to the Mount of Olives. And then we'll follow Jesus from the Mount of Olives into what the Bible refers to as Gethsemane. So um, we've got our work cut out. We've got quite a bit. And again, we're putting pieces in place. So uh, let me take you into the meal. Uh, we're going to dive right in this morning. So there's no like soft form. We're just going right in, into it. Um, I, I want you to imagine you're the disciples. Okay, so imagine, come with me in your brains your minds and your imagination. Imagine you're a disciple. Jesus uh, has come in. He's the triumphant king. He's then stood like against the religious leaders day after day, and they've challenged him. And now he said, go find a room, an upper room, and, uh, and they have found the room, and you're there at the Passover Seder. You're sitting at that triclinium table. You've been doing this for 1,500 years. 1,500 years of the same tradition. The Jewish people have been practicing. And over the course of time, 
a liturgy begins to emerge. That's the word we'd use, a liturgy. There's a, a common sequence of events for the Passover Seder. Now, um, how many of these pieces were exactly in place at the time of Jesus? We don't know for sure. We, we think that most of these pieces, um, my Jewish friends will say most of these we think go all the way back even prior to Jesus. Um, but there is a Passover liturgy a, uh, for the family Seder. So you would celebrate the family meal on Thursday night, and then the, nas- the national uh, celebration of Passover would happen the very next day on Friday morning. We'll get there next week. Um, but I wanted to walk you through the liturgy a bit and see kind of how does it play into our story. So let me walk you through the Passover liturgy. Uh, there is a 15-step liturgy that the Jewish people would have practiced uh, every single year as a way of remembering the Passover. Now, the Passover is an event that happens at the time of Moses. Uh, it is uh, an event that was celebrated every year as a way of reminding God's people that God led them out of slavery in Egypt 1,500 years earlier. But uh, as we said last week, the story was not just supposed to be a story about something that happened a long time ago. The point of the story was you would tell it every year as though we are active participants, So they would say, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and our God led us out of slavery. This is a story that's not about somebody else some time ago. It's about us and our God meeting us in our slavery and our God making beautiful things out of our dust. Uh, And so every year they would practice the same 15-step ritual. Let me walk you through the steps. The first step, uh, after you've gathered and you've taken your seats Uh, The host would say a blessing. Jesus is the host this year. They would say a blessing. This blessing is known as the Kaddush. Kaddush. And uh, you would drink a glass of wine. And uh, the the glass of wine, there would be four over the course of the meal. The glass of wine had some symbolism to it. Uh, The glass of wine represented four promises. Each of the glasses of wine, one of the four promises God makes to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. See if you can catch the four promises. This is uh, the words from God to Moses. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so you have these four promises. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you, and I will take you back to be my own people. So to kick off the meal, the host would gather his family, his friends in this case, and they would take a glass of wine, and they would... uh, The host would say something along the lines of, remember that our God will bring us out of slavery. Remember that our God will bring us out of slavery again. Cheers, Laheim. And then you would drink... It's empty. I'm just kidding. Uh, you would drink the glass of wine. That'd be, it'd be real saucy. if uh, <laughs> Two services, I'd be. Then you drink. Okay. Uh, first glass of wine. Uh, after, that's step one. Step two, there would be a ceremonial hand washing. Not, won't say much about that. And then step three, each person would take bread or a vegetable, and you would dip the bread or the vegetable in salt water. Now, again, it's all about remembering that this is your story. Why the salt water? Because the people of God cried out. And so you would drink salt water as a way of remembering that our people have cried out and God meets us in the cry. Why the dipping? Well, they actually believed that the original story that starts the entire Exodus slavery goes way back to a guy named Joseph. 
Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. And if you remember, the brothers then take his coat and they dip it in blood and they say to their dad, he was killed by an animal. Um, and that's the story they said kicks off the entire, that, and then he goes to Egypt and he becomes uh, the Pharaoh's right-hand man and eventually the people come to Egypt and then they become slaves. So they say the thing that kicked it all off was the betrayal of a brother. So we take the vegetable or the bread and we dip it into the salt water and we are reminded that we cried out in tears and that those tears began with the betrayal. That's step three. Step four, the host would then lift a piece of matzah bread. Uh, matzah bread is unleavened bread. So bread without yeast. As some of you practice making leavened bread during COVID. Sourdoughs, lots of sourdoughs were made during COVID. Uh, this is unleavened bread. Uh, leaven, our yeast, became a picture of sin and how sin, when it gets in, just a little bit of sin, if you ever made bread, just a little bit of yeast, uh, give it enough time and that little bit of sin will work its way throughout your whole life and then the life of your family and then the life of your community and even the life of the nation. And so God said, make the bread without yeast, um, but not just make the bread without yeast. Uh, are not, it's not just about the fact that it's sin, um, but it serves a very practical function in the Passover story. They had to make it quickly. Like they didn't have time to waste, so they made it fast because God says, you're getting out of here. So uh, take a piece of matzah bread, and then the host would lift the matzah bread, and he would break the matzah bread. And uh, he would take the bigger half. This is probably the bigger half. Uh, this is known as the afikomen. Somebody, somebody wants to say afikomen. Yeah, afikomen. Afikomen means that which comes after. Uh, it was to them a picture of God's promised Messiah. We would say Christ in Greek, um, but Messiah. God's Messiah, God's anointed one is coming, they said. And so they take the larger piece and then a game would be played. Um, if you had kids, the kids got to play this part of the game. I love this tradition, by the way. We should like, practice this on a uh, some year. We should do it together. Um, but they would take the larger piece and the kids would go hide it. Put it on Jared's. There. It's hidden. Uh, they would hide. They would, sorry, Jared. They would hide the afikomen. They would hide this because the Messiah is not here, they said. And God promised us he'll give us his Messiah. He'll send his Messiah. But this Messiah is not here. The Messiah has been hidden. Uh, and so we believe that someday God will bring back his Messiah and his Messiah will come. But for now, the Messiah is hidden. And so you would hide uh, the afikomen. Now, um, that's step four. Step five, the host would lead in a retelling of the Passover story. So uh, they had a liturgy. Everyone got to play along. Uh, you would go to the book of Exodus and you would retell the story of your people. And the little kids had a role and the grandparents had a role and your crazy uncle had a role. Everyone has a role in the retelling of the story. And you would go around and you would retell the sto your story of your nation, of your people, and how God set you free. That's step five. Step six. Uh, the host would take a second cup of wine. And he uh, would lift the second cup of wine and would say something along the lines of, our God promised that he would bring us out. And he promises us that he will deliver us. He will not just bring us out. He will make us free. He'll set us free. We're not going to be slaves. Wherever he's bringing us, he's setting us free. Laheim. And they would drink. 
Second cup, step six. Step seven, there is a second hand washing. Step eight, there's a prayer of thanks. And then step nine, they would begin eating a uh, bitter herb. This is why I got condiments. They begin eating a bitter herb. Uh, and uh, first the herb, and then they would eat the bitter herb on a sandwich. It's kind of weird, but uh, the whole point was to remember that life was... So your, your first course, by the way, was two glasses of wine, salt water, and horseradish. It's, uh, but the whole point was to remember that um, life before you were set free was bitter and hard. Don't take it for granted. You guys like horseradish? Any takers? So, uh, So you would take it and you would cry a little bit. Well, that was the point. You guys have Netflix and that made you entertained. There we go. Wow. Grown man eating horseradish. Ah. Woo. Uh, then, that's step nine. Uh, our people cried out. We cried out and God met us in the bitterness of our lives. Uh, step 10, the person who uh, sat in the servant seat. Remember last week we said Peter is in that servant seat. The person who sat in the servant seat would get up. And they would begin setting the table for the main course of the meal. You've had your appetizers. It's now time for the main course of the meal. The main course was a uh, roasted egg. The egg, uh, a symbol of God's continuity of life, even in the midst of slavery. Uh, Then you would have a, a paste of fruit and nuts to remember the brick and the mortar that the slaves made the Uh, Well, the slaves worked for Pharaoh, making brick and mortar. So you'd have paste of uh, fruit and nuts, and then the centerpiece of the meal was a lamb. Uh, Without blemish, a year-old lamb would be uh, that you recognize that lamb's life somehow stood in in place of what you deserved. And somehow through this lamb, we'll get here next week a little more, but somehow through this lamb, your life has been set free. Okay, so that's step 10. Step 11. Now here's here's where things get interesting. Step 11. We've had our meal. We've, uh, we've had a couple glasses of wine. Step 11, we got to go find the afikomen. And so uh, at this point, the game would continue, and that you would go looking for the afikomen. And eventually, you find the afikomen. What's the afikomen stand for again? The Messiah, the hidden one. Uh, you would find the afikomen. Uh, the host would lift up the afikomen and said, just, as though, just like we found the afikomen, God's Messiah will come. Until then, we pray. That's step 11. Step 12, the, after the meal, the host would say another blessing. There is a third cup of wine. Uh, there is the first cup of wine. God promises he'll bring us out. Then there's the second cup of wine. He doesn't just bring us out. He sets us free. And then, but, but how? How do you set a slave free? Well, they, the cup of redemption. Our God promises he'll pay the price for our freedom. And you drink the third cup. Everybody drinks the third cup. God will deliver us. Then uh, that's step 12. Step 13. You would sing a song as a community. The song is known as the Hallel. Uh, the word Hallel, um, Hebrew is an onomatopoetic language. So words kind of like pop, right? Or wow. Like they, they, they sound like something they mean. So a Hallel uh, that we believe comes from the sound that uh, especially wives and mothers would make when their sons are returning back from war. From war. 
just this like loud, like, hello, 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 hello. Uh, um, but it actually means to praise. And uh, our, our word hallelujah, uh, hallel, praise, and yah, Yahweh, praise God. And so we get our word hallelujah from hallel. Um, in the Jewish world, the hallel was an actual set of songs. We refer to them as psalms. Um, they come from, in the middle of your Bible, uh, Psalm 113 to 118. If you're taking notes, this is important to your story. Psalm 113 to 118 is called the Hallel. It is a group of songs that were to be sung at the end of the Passover meal. That's step 13. Step 14, uh, after the song, the host would lift up a fourth cup. He promised us that he'll bring us out. He promised us he will set us free. He promised us he'll pay the price for our freedom. That's the cup of redemption. This is the cup of salvation. He will take us to be where he is. Promised land, heaven, he'll take us to be where he is. L'chaim, and you would drink. Following the singing and the last cup of wine, you would turn to one another, and you as a community would say to each other, next year at Jerusalem. And you knew what that meant. That means next year we're having another party. We're remembering again. Let's practice that. Turn to, turn to each other and say, next year at Jerusalem. <laughs> yes, okay. So you would wrap up the meal, uh, and that's your family celebration. Okay, so that's what you do as a family. Then, tipsy, probably a little bit, t- depending on your alcohol tolerance, uh, a little bit tipsy, maybe a lot tipsy, a little bit full, you go to bed. And in the morning, you wake up, and you go to the temple And there is a whole national celebration that happens at the temple because it's not just your individual sins or the sins of your community. Um, There is our nation, and God has promised some promises to our nation. Uh, We'll get there later. Um, But that's the liturgy. Uh, There's a 15-step, pretty standardized liturgy. Now, how does that play into our story? Um, I share those details because, well, again, imagine you're a disciple, Jesus has uh, said, find someone's house. We walked through that story last week. Find an upper room. Make preparations for the meal. He's gathered his disciples. He has them seated at a triclinium, this table. And uh, as they're reclining at the triclinium, remember the seating arrangement, which we explored last, again, we spent all last week just on a seating arrangement. Uh, We've got John. We got the host sitting here. We have John in the seat of of the special friend or the second guest of honor. Then you have over here Peter seated closest to the door in the servant seat. Uh, And next to Jesus in the seat of honor, Jesus puts Judas. And imagine you're there. And Jesus sits his disciples down. And then we read in the text that a fight breaks out. And the nature of the fight is Jesus, who's the greatest? Who's most important? Because Peter's the oldest disciple. He's the chief disciple. According to the custom of the day, he's supposed to carry on the traditions of the rabbi. And you put Peter in the servant seat. And John is a kid. He's the kid disciple. Some think he's as young as nine when he starts following Jesus. So what is he, 12? He's the kid disciple. And Jesus, you put him in this seat? He's the youngest. They didn't question Judas. In fact, Judas will sneak off in the middle of the night. You know what they think he's doing? They think he's going to care for the poor. Apparently, nobody saw that coming. Apparently, he had a good reputation. We'll explore Judas again next week. Uh, But Jesus sits in there. They start fighting. Jesus uses the fight, the seating arrangement, as an opportunity to teach. 
And he's, essentially, his, his, his sermon is, you live in a world that ranks people. There's the good people, the honorable people, the high up people. You give those people your best seats. But that's not the way it should work in God's kingdom. If you're a leader, you serve. If you've got really low self-esteem and don't feel like you have any place in the seating arrangement at all, you need to be reminded that our God has put you in the seat of the special friend. You need to know what God sees when he looks at you. Um, Depending on who we are, we need to hear one of those, most likely, right? We either need, hey, leader, serve, or we need to hear God still loves you. I, had a, I did a wedding yesterday, and I'm always amazed. There's a, a moment in a wedding where I'll turn and talk to the husband, and I'll turn, or the soon-to-be husband and the soon-to-be bride, and um, I am always wowed by just saying to a man, I, I believe in you, and I believe you're a good man, how just those words, uh, like almost every guy breaks right there. Um, many of us, men especially, maybe women too, but uh, we never heard that from uh, somebody. And so there's some really power in the words. And I think some of us need to be reminded God puts us here. Some of us need to be reminded that sometimes God needs us to serve. Anyway, he sits him at the table. A fight breaks out. Jesus, listen, you guys rank people not like this in the kingdom. Then the meal begins and there's a first cup. Uh, this is not recorded in your Bible, what they do with this first cup, but I'm assuming the hime, and they drink the first cup. After the first cup, the Seder has begun. They begin dipping the vegetable or the bread. In the case of the story, we read it's bread, and they dip the bread in the salt water. And uh, they're remembering, do you remember what the picture was? Remember Joseph and how he was betrayed by his brothers and how that betrayal led to slavery. And because of that, we cried out, Because of a betrayal, we cried out. And Jesus takes that opportunity to say, on this very night, someone will betray me. And they all say, no, not me. I'll never do it, Jesus. I promise. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, the one who's dipping in the the bowl with me will betray me. And Judas gets up uh, and he takes off. He runs, he leaves. They think he's paying the wages of the poor, according to the text. Um, But he takes off. Then, uh, after that, the Passover is not done yet. Um, There is a retelling of the Passover story. There is a second uh, cup of wine. It's not recorded in our text. What happens with that cup of wine? Lachaim. I have no idea. Uh, Then there is a meal, the lamb and the egg. and There's a meal. And then following the meal is the hunt for the afikomen. And uh, this is a moment that we are quite familiar with. Because after they find the Afikoman and the host would lift up the Afikoman and would say, God is sending us our Messiah. Keep the faith. Jesus, we read, takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he gives it to his disciples. Do you see the picture? Do you think they caught it? Right? I am the Messiah. The one you've been waiting for. Oh, and by the way, what does he say right after this? The Afikoman has been hidden away. Right after this, he says, I am going to be hidden away. But keep the faith, I will return. For three days, I'll be placed in a grave. But keep the faith, I will return. The Afikoman will be hidden away, but I'll come back. Then following the hunt for the Afikoman, there's the third glass of wine. This is the cup of redemption. And it's at this point, Jesus takes the cup. 
After they had eaten, our text tells us, he takes the cup. We say this every Passover, right? After they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The third cup was, God, you will pay the price for our freedom. L'chaim. And they would drink it. God will pay the price. Jesus takes the cup and he says, this year, I'm paying the price. Do they understand, those disciples, what is going on? I don't know for sure. Um, But Jesus changes the liturgy. Now that's followed up with the singing of a song. Our text records this this moment. Uh, It's known as the Hallel, uh, Psalm 113 to 118. They've been singing this psalm for 1,500 years. Psalm 113 to 118. uh, Psalm 118 being the way they would wrap it all up. Uh, verse 30 in our text tells us that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We asked, what is the hymn? Oh, it's the, almost certainly the Hillel. Here's your homework. Read the Hillel when you get home. Psalm 113 to 118. The things you will see, knowing that that's the song that Jesus sang right before he will be arrested. Powerful stuff. Um, when, I, when we go to Israel and uh, we'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane and that's the homework is, uh, we'll do a little bit of teaching, but I want you just to read the songs. Read the songs. Now the songs are not, uh, the, we hear the Psalms and we think poetry. That's kind of how we read them is poetry. Um, but the songs are meant to be sung. And uh, to this day, our Jewish friends sing the songs. Now um, there's different melodies to the different songs. Are they the exact melody that Jesus would have sang? Probably not. Um, But there are melodies to the songs. It would go something like this. So here's Psalm 118. I apologize in advance. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, let Israel say, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. The house of Aaron say, let the house of Aaron say, let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, let those who fear the Lord say, let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do for me? The Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust than to trust in man. It is better to take, take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Should we keep going? All nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. Like they went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard, I was falling, but the Lord, he helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Sad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Do you see how you can sing the songs? We lose the melody, and so we read these stoically. Uh, 
The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through. Okay, we'll stop there. You get it, though, right? Like, they sing the songs. They sing the songs. They're not, the scripture's not meant to be a, okay, God, I guess I'll do my devotions this morning. It's supposed to be filled with joy. You sing the songs. You, you are, the, the psalm book that you have in your hands was meant to be your very life. God is giving you words to lift you out of the hardest situations. You sing the songs. And so at the Passover, Jesus, just like every other Jew in the nation, grabbed his disciples and they sang the songs. And it was together they sang the songs. They've had some wine. They've had a party. But that night, Jesus, this is how the song ends. Listen to how this song ends. Um, The Lord is our God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who's the sacrifice that's going to be bound to the altar? How does Jesus sing the song? He knows what's coming. The question is, do the disciples? By the way, some of you are like, I invited a friend today, and he just sung for five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Listen to these words again. Matthew 26, verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's go with him, at least in our imaginations. He went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus takes his disciples here. This is, uh, so uh, the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock, um, represents where we believe, at least, the Holy of Holies would have stood until the Romans tore it down in 70 AD. Jesus climbs the Mount of Olives. It's here. This is the Mount of Olives. We've seen this picture a lot here. Um, But he climbs the Mount of Olives. Now, we read that and we don't pause there. Put yourself in the story. What question are you asking in this moment? Why are we climbing the Mount of Olives? You've had four glasses of wine. You've had some lamb. You've had an egg. You've eaten some food. You, like most of the nation, should be going to bed right now. In fact, the scriptures say, go to bed after the Passover. You are to wait on God. Why is Jesus at the Mount of Olives? Why is Jesus in a moment when the rest of the nation is sleeping, does he take his disciples on a field trip? What would they be thinking? Now, the Mount of Olives is recorded a couple times in our Old Testament by name. Uh, Two instances in particular, I think, would have stood out. The very first time the Mount of Olives is referenced in your Bible King David, I'll look up the story uh, when you get home. 2 Samuel 15. Here's the summary. King David, guy that killed Goliath, that guy, now king. Uh, his son, a kid named Absalom. Absalom has staged a coup. He wants to get rid of David. Doesn't like David. Doesn't like what his dad's doing. So he wants to stage a coup. He gathers the support of the people. He does it 
with uh, the, the, the words in your scripture are, he shows a kiss of loyalty to the people. He gathers the support of the people. Then, fascinating story. Then uh, he's about to take the throne back. And what does David do? David goes to the Mount of Olives. He runs. And he, on the Mount of Olives, he stands. And according to tradition, he writes Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. Then he takes off over the Mount of Olives and he heads into the Judean wilderness, the same wilderness Jesus was tempted in. He runs off to the Judean wilderness. He escapes. That's the first story. The second story is of a guy named King Zedekiah. Zedekiah, the Babylonians have encircled the city. They're going to burn it to the ground. Zedekiah sees them encircling the city. He finds an escape route and he heads and we're told in our scriptures, he goes through the guard at the king's garden and he makes his way to the Mount of Olives and he stands and he looks over the city as the Babylonians are gonna destroy their city. And then he takes off, he runs over the Mount of Olives and he goes into the Judean wilderness. Two stories of two kings who, when they were about to be betrayed, split. Jesus has just told his disciples, someone's going to betray me. And now he takes them on a field trip to the Mount of Olives. What are they thinking? He's going to run. He then turns to them and he says these words. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He's quoting Zechariah 13. Remember that for next week. Um, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, the shepherd's going to be struck. I'm not running, but you are going to run. To which Peter says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will, Jesus. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, that this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all, other, all the other disciples said the same. Now, this is at least the second time they all say, we'll never leave you, Jesus. We'll never give up. We're with you, Jesus. Then Jesus sent, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, stay here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And they began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus takes them from the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane. Now, uh, we often think of these as two separate places. It's not two separate places necessarily. He takes them to a specific spot in a place. Uh, the, the, the word Gethsemane, uh, we sometimes say the Garden of Gethsemane, is a specific spot on the Mount of Olives. Can I go back one slide? Uh, it's here. This is the Mount of Olives. This is a graveyard. This over here is what was known as Gethsemane. Say Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew words. The word got, got, which means press, and the word shemanim, which means oil. The process worked like this. These are jalapeno stuff because I want to keep these for later. Um, they wouldn't have been jalapeno stuff. You would take olives. And you would lay the olives. The olive season is right now. This is when they're doing this, right now. Uh, it's in the late fall. You take olives and you put them under a giant millstone. Uh, let's go back to the, la the last one. I like this one, uh, a little more common. Uh, you'd place them under a giant millstone. And then you or an animal, um, you would turn the millstone. And the olives would be smashed into a paste. Then you would 
put them in a burlap sack and you would press the olives and an oil would come out. You'd put and press and an oil would come out. And then you'd put it and you'd press and an oil would come out. You'd smash it into a paste, then you'd press. Um, the pits would kind of spill off to the side. Uh, the, the difference between um, harvesting wine, is you, you ever see the images of like, people standing on the wine? You don't want to crush the seeds of wine, so you have to have delicate feet. It's often young kids or girls because you don't want to crush the seeds of the wine or it'll spoil the wine. But with olives, you crush them. You lay it under a weight. We have excavated, archaeologists have excavated at least two of these uh, along the Mount of Olives. It's an olive press. Jesus takes them to an olive press. We read his soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Do you see the picture? Listen to these words out of Luke. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Do you see the picture? He knows what's coming. The whips... The spit, the, 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 uh, the lies that were spoken about him, the insults, the crown of thorns, the weight of all of the sin of all the world on his shoulders. And the picture is it's like he's under a giant millstone being squeezed. And Luke says it's like his blood, his sweat was like blood coming out. He's being squeezed. He pulls his three closest friends, and he says, just stay awake with me. Keep watch with me. Just stay awake. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, what cup is he referring to here? There's a little bit of a debate here among scholars. Some think the cup he's referring to is Jeremiah 25. Uh, there's a um, and if you look up the passage, there's a cup of wrath that's poured out. And uh, some people think he's drinking this cup of God's wrath. Um, that's, there's some really good arguments for that, some really strong opinions on that. Uh, the other opinion, and I tend to lean in this one, is that the cup he's referring to here is probably the fourth cup. Remember when Jesus, after he drank the third cup, he said, I will not drink of it again until I'm in my Father's kingdom? The cup of salvation. In fact, listen to these words from the song he sung, that Hallel. Uh, Psalm 116. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I picture Jesus singing, And that is in my sight, I shall not fear. God, I don't want to drink it. I know the price. I'll pay the price. I don't want to drink it. But I will fulfill my vows. If you want me to, God, I'll do it. I'll fulfill my vows. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watching me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. His disciples are sleeping. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away until I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 
So he left them, and he went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He's been squeezed under a millstone. He's like, the weight of the world. I don't want to do it. Now, you can imagine the disciples' excuses. I would have this excuse. Uh, Jesus, we're teenagers, and we just had four glasses of wine. <laughs> I'm buzzing, or I'm tired, or I, it's been a long day, lots of lamb. We're tired. But what Jesus needs in this moment is his friends. And they're sleeping. Then he returned to his disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Resting is an interesting word there, isn't it? He's in anguish and they're resting. Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him, a large crowd armed with swords, clubs, sent with the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Here's the part of the story that in 2019, I had stood in this spot, but it never clicked for me until 2019. I was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, you ever have those moments where um, I use the language here that the coin fell into the slot? Uh, it's like all of a sudden something made sense. Um, but it also really felt like uh, Christians will often use this language of God spoke to me. Um, I've never heard an audible voice of God, so I don't know. Maybe that's real for some people. But um, this, this, uh, this is the, one of the closest I would use the phrase God spoke to me. It felt as though this is coming not from within me. This, like something's happening here. And it happened in uh, 2019. I was standing in Gethsemane, uh, I think we have an image of, I didn't take this picture. It's pretty. Um, I was not pretty at the time. Uh, the, um, I had this moment where I'm reading the story, and all of a sudden, I, it clicked with me that this is the Temple Mount. That section of trees would have been what was known as the Antonia Fortress. It's where the Romans built a fortress. The Temple Guard would either be coming from the Antonia Fortress or they would be coming from Caiaphas's house, which is just back on these high hills. It's Passover night. Everyone's sleeping. They've all had lots of wine. They've all celebrated. It's been a long day. Uh, this would have been quiet. There's no highway there. This highway is the Kidron Valley. All of a sudden, it clicked to me in 2019 that Jesus' betrayers probably had torches. They probably walked down whatever ancient road is where this modern road is, down the Kidron Valley, up, the garden of, up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm standing there looking at it all. And I had this moment where it clicked. They could have saw it. They should have saw it. Jesus said, watch. They should have saw it. But they miss it because they're sleeping. They should have seen the whole thing happen. You ever, uh, you ever mess up so badly and it's like the weight of the guilt just like sits on you? Or maybe um, have you ever said something that was so embarrassing or so, um, part of my language, but dumb uh, that like as soon as you said it, like you just replay the tape loop in your head of, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said that. Um, I can't believe I sung a song for five minutes on a stage. I can't, I can't believe it's like, and it's almost like so embarrassing that you start like screaming. You want to like, ah, like you, it's, 
I think that's what happens to Peter in this moment. He's sleeping, and all of a sudden he wakes up, and there they are. And so what does Peter do? With that, one of Jesus' companions, we're told by another author, it's Peter, reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. He takes out a sword. Actually, the word here for sword is a, we think sword, sword. It's a dagger. It's a knife. The word for cut could better be translated saw. He pounces on a guy and begins cutting off his ear. He's panicked. He's panicked. And I just pictured Jesus in this moment, seeing what's happening and him looking up at Jesus and thinking, Jesus, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Whatever excuses, I had too much wine. I was full. It's been late, Jesus. I'm sorry. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled and say it must happen this way? Peter, you don't have to fight. I didn't ask you to stay awake so that you could fight. I didn't need you to fight. I just needed you to be there. I could call 12, 000, 12 legions of angels. I didn't need you to fight. I just needed you to stay awake. If you, um, if you ever, maybe somebody in your life right now, they needed just to be there. Or have you ever found yourself in a spot where you just needed, you needed someone. And they came in with like slinging around a, a knife, right? Like here's some advice I read on Twitter. Here's something I saw. Like, like I didn't need your advice. I don't want your opinions. I don't want to hear about the podcast you listen to about how to deal with this problem. I just needed you to be present because it's weighing on me. You ever found like, yourself in a spot where you're, it's like weighing on you? Maybe um, it's like a, a school dance and you just needed someone to show up, right? You, all your friends, are, they all have dates and you just wanted someone who would say, why don't you join us? Just one person. That's all you need. One person to say, why don't you just join our group? Um, or uh, maybe you were, uh, it's like Christmas. I remember those, these Christmas nights when I was uh, single in my mid-20s. And it's Christmas night. And, uh, you know, it's a celebration, family and friends. And then you're back home and you're laying in bed alone. And you're thinking, this is the worst night ever. But it, I'm not allowed to feel bad because it's Christmas night. And all you needed was someone to call you in that moment. That's it. It would have fixed it. Um, or... Uh, have you ever been with someone uh, when they go into the hospital and they, are received, they receive the diagnosis? Um, have you ever been in a car with somebody driving home after that? What do you say? What do you say in that moment? Jesus just needs a friend, not advice, not him to fight off a mob. And then if you keep reading, we read uh, verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, I'm not leading a am, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture, capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching. You didn't arrest me. But this all has, to take has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples ran. They deserted him. Um, we sometimes think as Christians we need to know our Bibles front and back. Right? If, if we want to be 
helpful in the kingdom of God, we need to be able to handle their questions. And if they, what if they ask me a question about hell and I don't know exactly how to respond? Or what if they ask me a question about human sexuality and I don't know exactly how to respond? Or what if they ask me a question about uh, Noah's Ark or Jonah and the fish and I don't know how to respond? I am not useful in God's kingdom until I have answers to all these complicated, difficult, hard subjects. I think what you find in this story and a reminder we see again and again and again and again and again and again throughout the scriptures is what God needs out of us often is just to show up. Here's the challenge. Uh, This Christmas, who do you need to show up for? I'm going to do this challenge to you. I'm processing this with you. Who do you need to show up for? I promise every single one of us knows somebody that right now is wishing somebody would pick up the phone, shoot them a text, write them a card, buy them a gift, uh, somebody. Who is that person in your life? Don't leave this morning without identifying a name. Okay, so find a name. Who's a person that right now you're thinking, I can show up for this person? Now, what do you do when you, I don't know, like God, let God reveal that to you, whether it is a text or a card or a gift or, hey, let's grab coffee or Um, But who in your life is right now just feeling like the weight of the world is on their shoulders, they're being squeezed, and in the name of the Lord, you show up? Uh, P.S. P.S. The harshest account of this story is not, uh, at least for Peter, is not Matthew's account that we read. The harshest account of this story on Peter is Mark. Mark. Now, Matthew is a disciple of Jesus, How does Mark know the stories of Jesus? Mark is a disciple of Peter. I picture uh, Mark saying, okay, I'll write down the story, Peter. Um, What should I say? What happened here? And I picture Peter saying, you need to write down that I fell asleep. No, we don't have to write that down. Come on, Peter, like it's fine. We can just say somebody fell asleep. That's what Matthew's gonna do, just somebody fell asleep. You don't gotta write down it was you. No, no. You have to write down, I fell asleep, I dropped the ball in the moment he needed me the most. Put it in the story, because someday they're going to need to know that they can totally mess up, and it does not remove God's love. Next week, I want to try to get into the minds of Judas and Peter, because they both blow it, but their fate is very different. So next week, I want to try to get into their motives, their mind. Why do they do what they do? Um, Until then, would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, uh, make this story come to life for us again. Uh, Lord, make this alive for us again. Lord, help us to understand that this story is not just a story that happened. Lord, this is our story, that every single one of us, like Peter, have uh, in some way or another let someone down that needed us. Uh, Lord, in some way or another, we have let you down. And Lord, would you remind us in this moment that um, you see us as so valuable. Uh, Lord, you see us as so worthy that you would offer your very life as a way of protecting our own. Would that change everything within us, Lord? Would it change everything? Uh, Lord, we pray that this Christmas you would help us to figure out, Lord, reveal a name, reveal a face to us of somebody that uh, just needs us to show up. And then, Lord, give us a creative or maybe not a not creative way of just showing up in their life. Um, Lord, help us to, to see both of those, we pray. Uh, in Jesus, we pray this in your name.
We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.